0: Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation, a program providing help and information for our caregivers who are vital to the health and welfare of so many people in our community. You can hear Caregiver SOS On Air Sundays at 6 p.m. on 930 a.m., The Answer. And now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Thank you very much, and welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zernio. A nationally known gerontologist, serves as the executive director of the WellMed Charitable Foundation and on the board of the National Council on Aging, where she is a former chair of the board. Nice to see you.
1: Thank you very much.
0: We've got a great guest coming up, someone who it turns out you know, uh, Zanda Hilger.
1: Yes, Zanda um, is really was... A caregiver expert when I was living in Tarrant County years ago, uh, and it was such a thrill to look down and say, ah, she's our guest on Caregiver SOS on air. I could have had a V8. Why didn't I ask her sooner?
0: Licensed professional therapist.
1: Licensed professional therapist. And did I just date myself on that commercial? Does anyone know what V8 is?
0: I don't know if anybody even drinks V8 anymore.
1: Well, you know what? The low sodium V8, if you know somebody who's low in potassium. That is a It is chock-a-block full of potassium, so go out and check out the low-sodium V8. No, they didn't pay me, but I know someone who needed more potassium, and we discovered that was the magic bullet.
0: And healthier than bananas.
1: Well, and just different, and you can swig it down, and you're done. Right. You know, so it was easy. And and it's got eight vegetables. I, I was
0: going to say, how do they squeeze those vegetables know, in that I don't
1: know what those vegetables are. No one knows. I have
0: no idea. But you do know something about something that a lot of folks who are caring for an individual with Alzheimer's and other forms of dementia often deal with called sundowning.
1: Well, sundowning, you know, we probably have not talked about that very often, and it is such a common phenomenon. If you're a caregiver and you're caring for somebody with dementia, you probably have had experience with it, and sundowning simply is that time in the late afternoon, early evening When people with dementia, for some reason, become very agitated, they may be, they're anxious, they're angry, you know, it's almost, there was one caregiver that described it as almost like being a different person. Uh, come sundown than they were the rest of the day. And so it, it happens in about 10 to 25 percent of the cases. There was an article in the Washington Post. Um, some physicians think it has to do with the, with the light change. There's lower visibility, shadows, um, you know, that with the darkness. Uh, if somebody's in a nursing home or uh, a hospital, there's shift changes. So it's different people Uh, that happen typically late afternoon, early evening. But it probably has something to do with that clock in our heads, you know, because we all have a 24-hour clock. Right. And a a disruption in sleep uh, is actually an indicator that something may be wrong. Even before someone has memory problems, if the clock is all off all the time, um, it can cause some problems. So, you know, how do you – you can't – treat Alzheimer's, right? I mean, there's no cure for that. Um, But what you can do if you're dealing with somebody who, and you may not have even, you know, really noticed you. Yeah, you didn't know it had a name. You noticed it, but you didn't know it was a thing. It is a thing. Um, And so that what people um, who have worked with sundowning, if you expose your loved one to bright sunlight, So, you know, particularly in the winter months, that can be hard to do. But you want to get those full-spectrum light bulbs for the daytime use. You want to get them outside to get that bright sunlight, as much light as possible during the day, um, and keep people active and on a schedule that keeps them fairly busy. I know my mom, when she had Alzheimer's, we did have to have some small naps uh, to, otherwise, she was going to kill someone if she didn't get that nap in. Um, but we didn't let her nap that long. And and that way, with a few small naps, walking in the afternoon, um, she was able to actually deal with that. And and you can um, overcome a lot of problem behaviors. That's kind of be a theme for our show with problem behaviors if you recognize that sundowning is a phenomenon and you can address it you know, having good schedules, good bedtime habits, um, and getting as much exercise and sunlight as possible during the day.
0: I have a daughter-in-law who has SAD, seasonal affective disorder, and suffers from lack of sunlight on, uh, during the winter months so at her desk she has one of those big bright daylight lamps
1: that's right and you, and if you you can you know laugh about ho 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 sad syndrome but it really it's is real. it's real and it's a terrible depression you know my favorite is is the old tv show northern exposure set in alaska where they had an episode where where it was all centered about the dark of alaska and everybody's eating chocolate Because chocolate is an antidote for SAD syndrome. And so they put chocolate on Uh, absolutely everything. Look it up on YouTube. It's a delightful episode.
0: We will do that. Now, comparing sundowning to daytime sleepiness, which is also a problem.
1: Well, it was interesting because, you know, both of these articles on Alzheimer's talked about daytime sleepiness, but from the Harvard um, Medical School, their article was actually a study on people who become sleepy. Uh, in the daytime, and so to a an, sort of an abnormal degree. So they followed about 125 people with PET scans. They looked at their brains over 15 years for people who would fall asleep or need a nap uh, during the day rather than be awake. And the people that had daytime sleepiness, I don't want to scare anybody, were three times more likely to have the beta amyloid buildup, which is kind of the indicator for Alzheimer's, or people look at that, than the folks that didn't. And, And as we have come to learn on this show... What happens when you sleep is actually that's when your brain clears out all the debris of the day. I mean, literally, you've got all of this. You've got fluid that goes through your brain. You've got all this residue. Think of, you know, all those electrical firings, and they're leaving little bits of stuff in your brain, and it literally sweeps it and cleans it out. So if you're not sleeping well um, and you're napping and you're intermittent, your brain just doesn't. Clean that out as well, and you can be fatigued the next day. So just know that an, an unusual need to sleep in the daytime is probably something you want to look at, keep an eye on, It's not because not everybody um, does get sleepy during the day. Not everybody. Not everybody, unless they've been out the night before.
0: She's Carol Zerniel. I'm Ron Air, and you're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer. And uh, Zanda Hilger will be joining us in a few minutes, a therapist who deals with emotional, mental health issues involving care recipients and caregivers.
1: Right. And she's going to, we were talking about problem behaviors. Um, she's got a nice list of, of behaviors that people you know, might recognize in their own loved ones. Yeah, the
0: ones that drive you crazy. The
1: ones that drive you Those ones, the ones that drive you exactly. crazy.
0: Now, speaking of driving yourself crazy, MRSA would be one of those that Flesh-eating, deadly bacteria.
1: Well, you know, when we think of MRSA, right, you and I are thinking of MRSA, we are thinking hospitals. Where you want to, of all things, avoid a MRSA infection. It should never happen, but sometimes it does, and it can absolutely be deadly. I can tell you of people who have died of MRSA from routine procedures in the hospital, and they got the infection. So very, very bad. What I did not know is that your pets can get it, too. Really? Yes. So um, this was. I'm trying. I'm looking to see what the source of. Oh, it was um, one of the. It's your alma mater, OSU. The Ohio
0: State University.
1: The, the Ohio State University. In the Rose
0: Bowl, uh, by the way, January first.
1: Well, thank you very much for that update and a little sports trivia there. Um, but they studied, you know, dogs and cats and horses, uh, and in a clinic that where MRSA was found. And what they found out is, luckily, it's not as easy for animals to catch it as it is for people. But if your pet, if your animal has um, a compromised immune system Ooh. for whatever reason, then uh, they, they are susceptible to MRSA, and it does absolutely need to be treated. That You know, you don't just get over MRSA. It's a pretty severe infection, and you need to be t- t- treat it.
0: Lucy has a bump on her back. Should I be worried?
1: I don't know about the bump, but has she been someplace where she could have been exposed to MRSA? Because it's usually not found in the general environment. She
0: doesn't go anywhere outside of 09. <laughs>
1: yeah. That's zip code that's,
0: 78209. Yeah,
1: that's right. She's staying pretty close to yeah. home. But I, mostly was really, indoors. I was really surprised. That is amazing. Well, and, you know, you think about cats and dogs and bumps and scratches, and, and it's those open wounds where bacteria can get in. So not that unusual. And you
0: have a, a a troop of feral cats you hang out with.
1: Um, yes, uh, we do a production number every night at nine in the backyard. It's, it's the called feeding, the feeding the feeding of the cats. Feeding of the
0: cats. The feeding of the cats. Now you have a chair and a whip, the way the old uh, Barnum and Bailey circus. No, but I heard have. about a
1: I heard about a cat band that is coming to San Antonio. I wish I could remember the name of it, Brittany. You'll have to huh. you know text us here at the show. But they play instruments. And They're going to be at the Josephine's really? Theater, yes. And each cat drums, guitar, piano, all the instruments normal cats play.
0: I have to look that up. Uh, no, I
1: know we're. I am too because now I just remembered I was going to look it wow. up. Wow, yeah, That's so. Cool. So check it out. Check out cat bands. Now this is an interesting theater.
0: segue from Mercer to cat band <laughs> to deli, deli-, deli, deli meat. Meet. Of deli course. Yeah. And
1: what is this show about? Caregiving. Why are we talking about deli meat? We're talking about deli meat because the holidays have been upon us and they're coming and, you know, either it's Christmas, New Year's, Hanukkah, um, lots of opportunities. Valentine's Day, we might as well lump that in because I'm sure the candy will be out before I can finish blinking here in a second. Um, You know, there was an article, several articles that came out not that long ago, a couple years ago, talking about bacon And deli meats and them being bad for you. And so someone asked the New York Times, why would you not ask the New York Times, are deli meats really bad for me? And the answer is yes. (laughs) And the problem is um, what's different between regular meat and deli meats? Sulfites. The sulfites. So. You know, when you look at the list, golly, this is a long list of, it's processed meat. And by processing, it means we have done something to it. It's not the
0: way it came off the cow. It's not just
1: cooked, right? It's not just, you know, there's the meat in the package and now we've cooked it. No, we have salted, smoked, cured, acro cats. Thank you. We'll come back to acro cats. (laughs) Salted, smoked, cured, fermented, done something to preserve the meats, which that means hot dogs, ham, bacon, turkey bacon, corned beef, pepperoni, salami, smoked turkey, bologna, other deli meats, corned beef, sausages, beef jerky, holy smokes, what that's tongue? what it's all about.
0: I love tongue.
1: Well, it doesn't, you know, it depends on what they've done to it. Right. What um, the interesting thing is, I think what this article is talking about is yes, you know, there are carcinogens in, you know, meats that are heavily smoked, heavily cooked, the, the nitrites. But if you see something is organic um, and you think, yay, natural, yay, or contains no nitrates or nitrites, that, that may not necessarily be the case um, if they or, or contains no sodium um, nitrite, the people that don 't use sodium nitrite use other mechanisms to preserve the meat and, keep, and be able to store sure. it but the the what 's in those other things besides sodium nitrite is still nitrite at the end of the day it 's just not sodium nitrite wow, um, and so don't you can 't really assume so there, the usDA is thinking about changing the labeling so all of us can know when there really are nitrites and Natural doesn't mean it. So the bad news is here, and I hate to be the one to say it during the holidays, is that unprocessed meat, just good old chicken, beef, ham, lamb, whatever it is that you like to eat, um, is better for you. And how about a vegetable meal every once in a while just to work that in?
0: How about a corned beef sandwich from the Carnegie Deli, Ah, which is now out of business? You know,
1: yeah, corned beef, you don't find it that often, and it's probably because it has nitrites in it. (laughs) That's because we live in San Antonio. (laughs) Oh, well, that may be it, too. Up
0: next, we're going to talk with Zanda Hilger, a therapist, talking about the emotions that many, many caregivers deal with in their care recipients. I'm Ron Aaron with Carol Zernio. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 930 a.m., The Answer. ever wonder what you can learn from listening to WellMed Radio? Hi, I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host, Cora Juke, is here, nurse practitioner, what can folks learn from WellMed Radio?
1: You know, we talk about a lot of things, such as chronic disease management, how to manage your diabetes, your blood pressure. But we also talk about social issues, such as what WellMed offers and what you can do to improve your health and improve your life.
0: You can catch WellMed Radio Sundays at five PM on nine thirty AM. The answer. Well, we promised, and we try to deliver on everything we promised. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel, and we, we, we're, we've been mentioning that uh, Zanda Hilger is going to be joining us, and indeed, she is here, a licensed practical professional therapist and a counselor up in the Dallas area, and she is with us on our Caregiver SOS on Air hotline. She is uh, really a specialist in behavior and emotions of aging, what's normal and what needs medical attention. Which is Carol and I most days, so uh, thanks very much for joining us, Zanda.
2: Thank you. and actually, I proudly claim the Fort Worth well, area I, as being closer, both my office as well as um, as well as where I live. but okay as many of you may know, Dallas and Fort Worth almost have uh, joined at the hip right right i was
1: i was gonna i was ron didn't see me looking at him shaking my head when he said (laughs) dallas because i had the privilege of working with zanda i was the very briefly very briefly the area agency on aging director in tarrant county really and zanda was a Mm -hmm. a key uh partner for serving caregivers way back then and has continued you know through the years so She's very experienced and, and, and a very nice person.
0: And so you're still in Fort Worth.
2: Well, actually, I'm, I'm in Keller right now, but we're pretty fluid up to these, these parts.
0: Well, I like that. In fact, we were up in Dallas a couple of weeks ago uh, helping open the new uh, WellMed Senior Center, and to me it all awesome. runs together.
2: Yes, yes.
0: At least that's what folks talk about. So tell me a little bit about how you got into looking at of the behavior and emotions of aging and what's normal and what needs medical attention. How do you know?
2: Well, the way I got involved in this, of course, I'm, I'm trained as a licensed counselor, so I have a master's in, in counseling and psychology, so I've always had that um, uh, leaning anyway to be aware of that. And 18 years ago when I became involved with the Family Caregiver Program after uh, the passage of the federal law, uh, Donnie Green and I, uh, she's director of the Area Agency on Aging in North Central Texas. I offered to set up a website and developed a curriculum. And one of the areas that in my practice, uh, of I was going into the communities, talking with caregivers, doing caregiver workshops, very often there was a lot of misconception. Um, and I knew this from just the world, but there's so many myths about aging, and one of the biggest myths is about the behaviors, you know, that somebody that has memory loss or acting a little weird, they must have Alzheimer's, or completely ignoring any of that, and dealing with the difficult behaviors often translated into the language of difficult people, and as I work with caregivers, they frequently were continuing to bump into resistance from the people they were caring for. And when I would ask and probe a little bit more in support groups or training programs, very often the caregiver was treating that older adult, a parent or or a spouse, like a kid. And their language was, you need to. And it was obvious that there was a disconnect, that these are not your children, it's always gonna be your parent. And there needed to be more conversation and more information about what's normal and what are behavior changes that we need to pay attention to.
0: Now talk to me a little bit about uh, the kind of difficult behaviors that you reference. What is it you're referring to? Some examples would be helpful.
2: Uh, Difficult behaviors like uh, don't want to take medicine. Don't want anyone to come in the house other than the person that's taking care of them. They don't want, if things as minor, as they don't want to bathe, they're wearing the same clothes. They uh, can't sleep at night and wander around uh, at night, although they may be taking naps all day. Being argumentative, being um, you can't tell me what to do kind of behaviors. Then the behaviors that sometimes do sound like dementia. They can't remember things. They keep telling the same stories over and over and over. Um, again, that uh, being more difficult, or losing initiative and just sitting in a chair, some of those might be suggest that there's that dementia or something needs to be looked at, but what very often is overlooked, there may be a physical problem, and why well med is such an important part of all this dialogue because the first step with a difficult behavior is. What's the medical condition? When was the last time blood work was done? Who is seeing that, that patient? Are they still being seen by the same person that they've seen for 40 years that may have absolutely no training with older adult medicine and maybe can't blame it on them, but they don't realize how different medications are and how older adults may need a very treatment different treatment protocol than someone younger.
0: That's interesting because a lot of people do grow up with the next step after their pediatrician. They then see a family doctor, and that's who they mm-hmm. see forever and ever and that's ever.
2: It. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And very often, that's the conversation that I would have with caregivers. If you had a, if you're talking to your parent your spouse, if when a, when a child gets sick, they go to a pediatrician, well, older adults are, that's another stage of life. And if they have particular needs, they need to be seen by someone who has expertise. A geriatrician obviously is perfect, but it's at least a physician that has experience working with older adults and has, uh, is an inter- someone who deals with internal medicine. They have that training, that background, that experience.
1: Well, I was having a conversation actually with a geriatrician this morning, and we were talking about some behaviors and problems that come from not realizing that someone has um, sensory losses. So hearing loss Mm -hmm. and vision loss, and people are like, oh, my gosh, you know, they're grumpy, Mm -hmm. um, they're confused. And a lot of times Mm -hmm. uh, a a good hearing aid or something, some sort of device or understanding that they have vision and hearing loss combined, and they're confused because they're not getting any cues um, around their environment, and they're just missing so much.
2: Right. Point. And then another issue that I'm sure, Carol, you've heard about is this very often the symptoms that may suggest dementia or something cognitive is a urinary tract infection.
1: Right. That and that often is overlooked. Well, and then you talk about somebody that you know has dementia. But with their behavior goes off the charts overnight, that's mm-hmm. the urinary tract infection in someone with dementia. So UTIs, mm-hmm. well, for a normal person, will make it seem like they have dementia. If they have dementia, it will right. make them seem like they have completely gone off the deep end.
2: Right, right. And dealing with another thing that comes up with a difficult behavior is there may be an undiagnosed, unrealized, very real depression, whether it's a cognitive depression or. Some people have had a low-lying depression all their lives, but they've just been able to handle things. They're isolated, they're, they don't have anything to look forward to, and if they're not evaluated for that, and, you know, a caregiver, and that is another conversation. You don't lead with, I think you're depressed. <laughs> you lead with, and that's another thing that caregivers, to be more effective in dealing with these older, uh, these difficult behaviors, have to lead with good old i statements meaning you know i've noticed that you don't seem to want to go out i've noticed that you're um straining to watch tv i've you know something that it's almost like holding up a mirror um mom dad what's going on with that what do you think we can do about that let's see if we can't make this better instead of saying you know you you need a hearing aid you need to take your medicine you need to go to the doctor how many of us of any age likes to be told what to do, especially by our child. Well,
0: the answer is none of us. But if you've just joined none us, this is Caregiver SOS on air at 930 AM, The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. And we were talking with Zanda Hilger, who is joining us from the Fort Worth area, where she works as a therapist and helps folks deal with the kind of issues we are talking about. And I was happy, Zanda, to hear you mention uh, caregivers, because... Part of our hope in, in doing this program is that we provide help and tips and direction for caregivers in dealing with these kinds of uh, emotional problems they're seeing in their care recipients. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, I was really struck by you when you when Ron asked you, you know, what are some problem behaviors? You had quite a laundry list, and then we talked about. You know, what could be some of the causes of them? And there were multiple medical conditions, some, you know, sensory aging loss uh, issues. And so it sounds like, um, you know, getting to the root cause of a behavioral Mm -hmm. problem and then determining what to do about it, you know, could involve, um, well, we could all invite Benedict Cumberpatch to play Sherlock Holmes and help us figure it out. That would be fun. But other than that, I (laughs) I guess we just have to do some sleuthing.
2: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm
0: -hmm. so how do you teach a caregiver to be a sleuth
2: how do you teach well for one thing put their put themselves to the side and what i mean is it's not about them as a caregiver it has to be about what does the person i'm helping need um one of the things uh and I, i it does always start with the medical but you pay attention like what carol was talking about sensory loss uh are they turning that that radio or the television up too much. Um, are they avoiding doing a, a change is always a good sign that something needs to be, we need to pay attention. If they're doing things different in their behavior, acting different, their usual routines are different, that's your first cue. And sometimes it is a matter of maybe they're not taking their medications as prescribed. Maybe, maybe there's been a loss. Another thing that frequently people don't um, really realize is when someone's life has changed in any way there is a loss there and loss means it means grief there is a, a little bit of a grief that goes on so if they're relocated or if um, sometimes even especially with dementia but even if a caregiver thinking they're doing the right thing comes in and changes out all of the bed linens and changes out everything in the in the living room let them lead us and ask them instead of telling them, you're more likely to get a much better result. All right, now
0: we're going are- to come right back to you. Don't go anywhere. Stay right where you are. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zernial. We're talking with Zanda Hilger on the Caregiver SOS on air hotline. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on-air on air at 9 30 a.m. The answer. We are rolling right along here on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel. You hear us at 9.30 a.m. The Answer, and we're talking with Zanda Hildur, who is a therapist up in the Fort Worth, Dallas area, and we're talking about behavior and emotions and trauma and dealing with folks whose lives are changing as they age. You know, Xander, you mentioned changing things in the house. Uh, my dad, who... Uh, for the last 10 or so years of his life, he's passed away since, uh, had dementia. My, my mother used to wake up in the middle of the night and rearrange the furniture in the house. It's just yes. something she always mm-hmm. did. And, of course, my mm-hmm. dad would wake up, and he'd walk around and bump into everything because she'd move right. the couch, she'd move the table, mm-hmm. she'd move the chairs. Uh, it's just what she did.
2: Mm-hmm. It had it's to be upsetting. So made him frustrated.
0: I'm sure it did.
2: And, oh, my gosh, he must be a heavy awesome.
1: sleeper.
0: Well, he didn't hear it moving around. Right. She's
1: out there moving the whole furniture right. oh, around.
0: Yeah. yeah. That was her uh-huh. stick.
2: One of the things, too, that um, <laughs> I'm a therapist um, now, but prior to this, I still do uh, the website. I do a monthly caregiver education electronic newsletter. Now and then I do a workshop. But prior to this, I ran a support group for about 14 years at a local hospital and then did programs all over the north-central Texas area. And... There are some common themes that many caregivers um, would talk about, and many of these are a lot of myths about aging, and that's another thing I would encourage the caregivers listening. There, I looked online to see, I remember there was an old one, but there's several out now, mostly from universities, but it's an aging quiz, And it it addresses all of these myths, and I think that would help caregivers also, because most caregivers, I've been one, I am one, it doesn't come with a procedure list. It doesn't come with a workbook. There's much more out there. Um, I was also part of the Stress Busting for Caregivers uh, program for dementia, and now I know that there's a, a Stress Busting for Chronic Illness. Education, education, education is the key to being able to provide help to our loved ones in the best way possible. Well, what
0: are some of the again, aging? What are some of the aging ahead. myths?
2: Oh, well, one of the one of I love is that um, we are all. Let me even read because I want to be able to reference. It's gone to sleep here. Um, one of the first one is the majority of older people. Past 65 have Alzheimer's disease. You know that's a myth, and that's another one of those. Oh, mom or dad, they're forgetting things. They lost the the keys um, last week, and they must have Alzheimer's disease. Hello, no. How many people in their 30s lose their keys? Another one of the aging myths is that. Um, and I'm a, I'm an advocate for aging. So when I hear someone say, "Well, you know, I'm getting older and I just forget things." And I'll say to them, let me ask you a question. People in their 30s, how's their memory? Yes, memory does tend to uh, lessen as we get older, but it doesn't necessarily mean that there's a disease process. And sometimes it's people just not paying attention or not listening or having a system to make sure that important things like their keys are somewhere they can find it. Other things that are... um, that that older people, they just can't learn new things. They just can't learn new things. Well, it might take them a little longer, um, but they can learn new things. My sister-in-law is 72. She's learning to play bridge. Um, another one I loved to do in, um, in workshops that I do or I would do business presentations, personality changes with age. How many of you believe that? You know, most people have put their hands in the air. Personality doesn't change behavior changes. What happens for all of us is the older we get, the more we turn off our editor button, that we start saying what we've always thought, but we just didn't say.
1: Well, and Zanda, so, I would I would add to that, that if personality does change, that's something to worry about.
2: That's a, exactly. It, that's if personality what you... changes, that's dementia. That's uh, or
1: some other something's going on, right, if somebody's, brain. right.
0: So, but losing That's your not filter, normal. losing your filter is normal. <laughs>
1: yes, yes. Well, there's, yes. A, there's a theory, Ron, that people become more like themselves as they get older. Yeah. And so if you, you know, always had an opinion or kind of spoke up, you're not going to not do that. You're going to feel a little bit freer um, Interesting. to express yourself.
0: So for those of us who've always been direct.
1: I can't, yeah, I can't wait to see you in 20 years. Oh, my God, your Facebook page will catch on fire.
0: Exactly. So, Zanda, when you, when you think about all this and when you work with, uh-huh. with caregivers, if you're uh, counseling someone, do you also need to spend time with the care recipient to get an idea of what's happening in that household?
2: I usually didn't do that. I was involved with a couple of projects where we went into the person's home and the care receiver might be there, but our uh, the person that we were um, uh, serving was the caregiver. Again, it's about giving caregivers tools. It's about educating them, telling them how they can find them. But one area we haven't really um, addressed quite yet is caregiver self-care. Caregivers who are stressed out Caregivers who have not been taking care of themselves, they're more likely to be anxious, depressed, and they lose their filter even quicker. Many caregivers that I've that I've heard in the support groups, more usually one on one, is they feel so guilty because they are not more patient. They feel guilty because they snapped at their their mother. They were yelling at her. And we have to just kind of realize the issue here is the caregiver has not put their own needs first. Many of us use the, the image um, of you get on a plane, the announcement is that face mask is going to drop down if it loses air pressure. Who do you put it on first? You put it on yourself before you can help someone else. And very often, the caregiver may be unintentionally triggering some of those difficult behaviors or making them worse. If I can offer a, a specific example about, about that, um, it won't take very long. I was working with a caregiver, and she was just so frustrated. Her mom lived in the home every night, same routine. Her mom had a little dementia, wasn't diagnosed with, with Alzheimer's, but she was so frustrated because she would say to her mom, Mom, it's time to go to bed. It's time for you to take your shower and go to bed. So she would go in with her mother, she'd put her gown on the, the bed, and she'd say, I'm going to go back out to the living room, um, take your shower, and get ready for bed. And she would go back five minutes later, her mom was sitting on the bed, the, the gown was still there, she hadn't taken a shower. Well, yes, was it increasing dementia? Well, let's try a behavior change. So what we discussed is how about breaking it down into smaller steps? Mom, it's time to go to bed. How about you take your shower? And that might mean the caregiver needs to stand by a little longer, especially for safety, but to make sure the next steps were followed. And it may even be, there came a point where she has to break down the shower that, you know, here's the towel, here's this, here's that. But what was happening is she wasn't understanding that her mom didn't get it. Her mom was no longer able to connect those dots.
0: You know, it's interesting, as I listen to you, uh, I, I, uh, one, one of my kids, w- when he was much younger, uh, struggled with uh, attention deficit disorder, uh, and very often you couldn't give a list of things to do. You had to do exactly what you're saying, break it down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So th- that's very
1: understandable. Right, and less, and less can be more um, a lot of times, especially dealing with someone with dementia, where you give them two, and they say, what do you want to wear? He, you want the mm-hmm. blue shirt or the red shirt today? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and that way you don't Let's get in that big fight. Or because I know when my mother, we didn't really understand. My mother had Alzheimer's. We didn't understand that she, you know, she used to love to pick out what she was going to wear, and we didn't realize until it was taking forty minutes for her mm. to get dressed was that she was still standing there trying to figure out what to wear. Sure. And so we had mm-hmm. to put just two things on the bed and you know based on the weather so it wasn't something inappropriate which was also a problem of course um, and Mm -hmm. and say this or that and then she was happy oh i want this one and it went much smoother
0: well what we need you know before people become caregivers it'd be nice if we could give them all a caregiver course
2: oh my goodness no kidding you know they have stuff for for parents learning to be uh, parents right. and dealing with children. Oh, it, may I briefly also address another thing that, that I saw frequently, I didn't even experience it myself. We're not the same. We know that. Our personalities are different. What one caregiver might think was perfect for the person they cared for might not fit their style or their personality, specifically things like um, I was working with a caregiver and she said, you know, I've taken my mother to the senior Center. I've taken her here. I've taken her there. She doesn't want to go. She doesn't want to go. She doesn't want to go. Because this caregiver was convinced her mom needed to do this and be out there with other people. And so I started asking her, was there dementia though? No. Um, tell me about how her mom, tell me about what your mom has done throughout the years. What was her, what were her activities? Well, her mom Loved staying home knitting and crocheting and doing what she was very much a homebody and she was an introvert, meaning she was more content on her own. My own mother, there's no way she would have gone to a senior center because of all of the activities and all the people, but also she wasn't going to go where those old people were. So the caregiver, it was like a light bulb went on. She thought, Oh my gosh, I never thought about that. So, But what we did figure out a plan of were people from her past calling her? Were people keeping in touch? She used email. Um, The whole idea of connecting but not necessarily having to connect out in the community. So caregivers, when I said a while ago, sometimes caregivers need to get out of their own way. Pay attention to what that person we're caring for. What can we figure out that can come close to supporting that person's independence and their health and their safety and that we become more aware of what those needs are and how to meet them that instead of having a cookie cutter cutter approach to caregiving. Oh Go ahead, Carol.
1: Well, I was going to ask before we run out of time, if you could touch a little bit on, I know you're a therapist, and Dr. Jamie, who works with us, talks a lot about the benefits of therapy. So talk about Mm -hmm. cognitive behavioral therapy. Talk about why that might be a good tool for a caregiver.
2: You bet. Um, And I also want to say one of the things increasingly that is being paired, and I do in my own practice with cognitive behavioral, is any type of mindfulness practice deep breathing, and learning tools that help us keep in the moment instead of all this worrying fret about the future. Mindfulness. Cognitive behavioral. I'm sorry?
0: Mindfulness. Mindfulness,
2: and, which is deep breathing, and there's several different tools. If, if someone, um, and it, people say meditation, it's not necessarily meditation. It's tools to keep one in the present. Coloring books is a mindfulness tool. There's all kinds of tools out there, but the whole idea is to stay in the moment. Cognitive behavioral, what we're trying to identify is what are, what is, what are the stressors? What are, tell me about, frequently when I'm assessing a client, I'll say, tell me about some of the most persistent kinds of things that go through your mind that keep you stressed out, and they'll start talking, and we'll key in on one. Okay, when you think that, and it usually had, it leads to many other thoughts. How does that make you feel? What kind of emotions are you experiencing? The most common one for caregivers is guilt always, but also anger, um, resentment, uh, anxiety, nervousness, all of those kinds of things. And with cognitive behavior, what we're trying to identify, that original thought and those emotions that feeding that thought and then the thoughts are feeding the emotions, are they true? This thought you're having, is it a true thought? Well, I hate is to stop irrational? you right there,
0: but we are flat out of time. So we'll find okay. out next time whether that's true <laughs> or not.
2: And I it's thank it's you. Just a uh, process. It's well, just a pro- step-by-step process. that's very successful.
0: I thank you so much, Sandra Hilder, for joining us. We, we had a great time talking with you.
1: And your website is, if people want to find you?
2: www.familycaregiversonline.com. That's caregivers, plural, familycaregiversonline.net. We also have uh, Facebook and Twitter, uh, North Texas Caregivers or Dallas Area Caregivers.
0: All right. Got to stop right there. This is a dead end. Thank you very much. Appreciate your time, and I hope we do it again. And thanks for doing the teleconnections with caregiversos.org. You take care, Zanda. Bye-bye. Now, what's up next? We know.
1: Take 10 with Dr. Jamie.
0: He'll be up next on Caregiver SOS on air at 930 AM, The Answer. <laughs> you ever wonder what you can learn from listening to WellMed Radio? Hi, I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host, Cora Juke, is here, nurse practitioner. What can folks learn from WellMed radio
1: you know we talk about a lot of things such as chronic disease management how to manage your diabetes your blood pressure but we also talk about social issues such as what wellMed offers and what you can do to improve your health and improve your life
0: you can catch wellMed radio Sundays at 5 p.m. on 9:30 a.m. the answer <music> Thank you so much for joining us for Take 10. This segment follows each and every one of our Caregiver SOS on-air programs. Dr. Jamie Heisman, a nationally known psychotherapist, an expert on addictions and caregiving, joins us on our Caregiver SOS on-air hotline. Carol Zerniel is here. I'm Ron Aaron. And, Carol, you wanted to ask him about cognitive behavioral therapy.
1: Well, I Jamie, I would expand that because you um have a therapy background and your sister, kind of and your mother runs in the family. So, you know, people talk about therapy and for a lot of caregivers, a lot of older adults, that's a scary wor- word for there must be something wrong with you, right? We we've talked about the stigma of mental illness and people automatically think, well, you're there's something wrong if you have to get therapy. So, What's the, real, what's, the, what's the real deal with therapy?
3: Okay, that's a great question. You're going to hear, obviously, words that you've heard before. You and both, Ron, have prompted uh, this thought process in my mind before about therapy. Literally, without getting into the techniques yet, therapy is pretty simple. Anybody who wants to understand it out there, it's about awareness, transformation, and then self-love. That's literally the process of therapy. So if you find yourself a person who you therapeutically bond with, that means basically be on the same level eye to eye. They're in your um, world in a in, in way that they're starting where you're at. Then the first thing is about finding awareness. And once you're aware, you're no longer naive.
0: And transformation implies change.
3: It does. It does, Ryan. And thanks for the team that made me up because what happens in therapy is once you're aware and you're no longer naive, uh, your body can't sit with, or at least theoretically according to Freud, can't sit with two competing thoughts. And a lot of our listening audience I'm sure have heard about the words cognitive dissonance. And so cognitive dissonance comes that once you're aware and no longer naive, your body can't sit with two competing thoughts. So it's kind of moved organically or forced to transform and transformation which you mentioned the next step here is the it comes in so many different ways for let's let's see for our audience if you're an alcoholic or an addict or a codependent person transformation would be the 12 steps of aa or coda that is a transformative path so transformation can come in many ways it could be spiritual transformation uh it could be shamanic transformation Obviously, with the 12 steps, it could be step transformation. So that's the second step.
0: So, what is so shamanic? It, what's okay. shamanic transformation? Pardon me? You, you said something oh, like shamanic.
3: shamanic. Yeah, well, you know, if you're in Texas, so I, I bring shamanic up because it's part of the Mexican American and Mexican cultures. Um, it, it, that, it, I appreciate you mentioning that because for your listening audience, if they want to see a great transformative tool, Once they become aware, maybe even before they go see the therapist, Carol, uh, they could buy the book The Four Agreements, written by Dr. Miguel Ruiz. And he comes from a shamanic background. He was actually a physician. His mother was a shaman in Mexico, a very spiritual sort of deep civilization piece that he wrote the book The Four Agreements about. So the Four Agreements are literally also a transformative tool. So once you're transformed, quote unquote, or in the process of transformation, the next step is self-love.
1: Well, before and we get to self-love, self-love well, opens up the world James, to
3: everything? Go ahead.
1: Karen. So before we get to self-love, you talked about transformation. So if I I'm aware that I have, let's say, let's go back to your example of an alcoholic. I'm aware that I have an alcohol problem, and I go and I and now I'm I've got this idea that you know, this is probably not the path I should be following, but if I at any point drop off, fall off the 12 steps, or decide not to go. So is that then going back into denial? I no longer am aware? or I I mean, can you be aware and you still continue these behaviors that led you to this place in the first place, like reject the transformation?
3: Yes, you can. Of course you can, and that is denial exactly, which is... Obviously not a river in Egypt when it comes to the alcoholic or addict. It is basically a defense mechanism. And that's why we call sometimes, you know, in physicians, in primary care, call their practice a practice. A, you know, this is about a long-term process. Transformation is not an event. It is a process. And to your point, literally when you stop that process at any given time, you're not listening to others who have gone through that process and then you shut down in denial and compartmentalize it and put it into a cabinet, you're really likely to go and relapse and well, start drinking. And well, so we have
0: defense mechanisms, and that's what therapy's for.
1: And so I want to take it down to something that might be very easy and sound familiar to a caregiver. So Before you
0: do that, let's remind folks they are listening to Take 10 on Caregiver SOS On Air on 9.30 a.m. The Answer with Dr. Jamie Heisman, Carol Zerniel, and me, Ron Aaron.
1: So, you know, we talked about alcoholism, but a, a caregiver, the, what they may be fighting is anger, resentment, guilt... That can be debilitating, it can be something very heavy and burdensome that they feel every day this anger and resentment, or yeah, guilt, it eats them up. and it eats them up. So it doesn't have to be something big, substance abuse or, I mean, it can be something as simple as "I am mad all the time. I'm re- I feel resentment towards my loved one all the time.
3: Absolutely, Carol. And, you know, that's what therapy is about. It's about a place that you can actually reflect with somebody who you therapy they're connected to, which means you've done the work to know you you, you you do connect with that person and have a place where you can get honest, realistic feedback and discuss, you know, this anger and this resentment. In fact, if you want to take our conversation one step further, for the addict and alcoholic, we said there's 12 steps of AA. For a caregiver, if they have anger and if they have resentment, I have to tell you that the program, the 12-step program called Codependency Anonymous, which is free and available anywhere in Texas or in Florida. And all you need to do is go online. It's a fabulous place to deal with anger, resentment, being validated by other people rather than being validated by self.
1: So, you know, I, I like that you said the word practice and that it's a place that you practice. And my own experience in therapy Is that you do get a chance to sort of anticipate situations that might come up? That in a caregiver's life, it might be a situation where you're always mad, you're always trying to rush to the care, you know, person you're caring for, you're always mad at them. And you get a chance to practice a different response or a controlled response as opposed to just snapping and being angry. So that idea of practice. It means that it's literal. You get a chance to kind of see what else could you do besides be angry.
3: And taking that one step further for our listening audience in the short time we have, the beauty is that there are so many techniques. Like uh, I'm sure you discussed in, in, as you mentioned to me, in this particular program, cognitive behavioral therapy, which is a reframing, if you will, of reality. There's also mindfulness therapy. There's Jungian and Rogerian which is reflective, and different uh, paths to get to the same truth and the same authenticity. But what you bring up, Carol, is just ideal for our audience, because you can find what you just described also in a very safe group setting. So if they're afraid of going to a therapist or shame and stigma, wow. The well Charitable Foundation through Caregiver SOS and the Area Agency and Agents have fabulous support groups and clinical groups where they literally can get honest feedback as long as they continue and create that therapeutic bond and relationship.
1: So now let's talk about self-love. So we've, we have accepted that there's an issue. You know, we've worked on this transformation, and you said the last thing is self-love.
3: The beauty is that we're all striving for self-love. Love Love is what drives us, uh, and love of self is the first thing that we need as caregivers,
1: because we really
3: can't, quote-unquote, love. Love is a four-letter word sometimes when we don't love ourselves. It becomes that anger and resentment that we love somebody so much. But once we have found self-love through the transformation process, again, this is a process, not an event, then that self-love, if you will, falls into the world, or if you will, grows into the world of collective love. Meaning that if you're feeling good about yourself and your self-esteem is good, your guilt is less, you really have a high sort of, you know, esteem IQ, what happens is that love kind of flows over everybody. The person you're taking care of, your family, your work. And Carl Jung took Freud one step further and called it the collective. So really to have love and peace in this world, you do have to go through awareness transformation and find self-love first.
0: Sounds like a plan.
3: It's a great plan. I I practice it as best I can. And still, after all these years, Ron, have not gotten it quite right. That's what keeps bringing me back to my
0: therapist every week. Well, exactly. And we are flat out of time. So we'll leave you time to go see your therapist. You've been listening to Take 10 (laughs) with Dr. Jamie Heisman, Carol Zernil, and me, Ron Aaron. This is part of Caregiver SOS On Air. We thank you for joining us every week on 930 AM, The Answer. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS On Air presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. Email suggestions and comments on this radio program to radio at wellmed.net and join your hosts Ron Aaron and Carol Zerniel for another edition of Caregiver SOS On Air on 930 AM The Answer.